0: Tonadre, or Le Cataclysme, was written by J.H. Rosny, a in 1888, and it was published in La Revue Independent. J.H. Rosny is the alias of Joseph-Henri Honoré Bus, as well as his younger brother.
1: Yeah. We- weird kind of relationship.
0: Right. They had a collaborative partnership, but it did not last that long. And it seems like the elder Rosny is the more celebrated of the two, especially in terms of science
1: fiction work. I also got the sense there was a bit of a rift and like bad blood between the two of them at some point. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah, it seems that way. And eventually they, they, so Rosny is sort of considered like the Belgian H.G. Wells, I guess, by some people anyway. And it seems like in the beginning, the two of them, had this partnership, and they wrote a number of stories and novels, many of which can be classified as science fiction.
1: And we're certainly going to be coming back to more in the future. Yeah, at least one. At least one.
0: Aimé, which was added to his name later, denotes the Elder Rosny, and he continued to write science fiction well into the 1900s and 1910s. He also occasionally used the pseudonym Enecrios, and uh, Joseph Henry He was born in Brussels in 1856. He studied mathematics and physics and chemistry and moved to London in 1874. And there is where he was married. But eventually Paris called him and he relocated there and began to publish stories with his brother. The partnership did end in 1908 and that was when Elder was added to the name of J.H. Rosny. And he was part of the Goncourt Literary Society and he became his president. There is a French literary prize for science fiction named after him. And what's kind of interesting is Rosny wrote an essay called Le Légion Skeptique, which was published in 1888. And it seems like most of his stories and novels are like most of the actual fiction is just extrapolation from the things that he wrote about as possibilities in this essay. Right. So it sounds like it would kind of be an interesting thing to read, even though it's not fiction. We might be getting into the territory sort of similar to Flammarion here, yep. in fact.
1: Yep. And I mean, I'm almost, I can guarantee Flammarion was known
0: to. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I i don't know. He keeps calling to us, so. <laughs> <laughs> We're going <gonna laughs> to resist the call as long as possible.
0: Resist the call of Flammarion. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we are going to do this Rosny story. He published a number of short stories and novels, and they have been collected in English translations. We're not talking somebody really, really obscure compared to some authors, but certainly I had never really heard of him until doing research for this podcast.
1: Yeah, me neither. We flagged one of the other stories. It's translated as the shape sometimes. It's like, he played some other times. I don't know. French yeah, pronunciation. just
0: same sipe, Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The, which is um, not a it,
0: real French word. I don't know. It's just some kind of, I think it's it's... It's supposed to be about a prehistoric society's encounter with weird extra-dimensional beings.
1: Yeah, and it sounded really cool. So when we were doing this one, I was like, "Oh, cool!" It's that one written by that guy who wrote that other one that sounded really weird. And mm-hmm. after reading this one, I'm very, very excited to read that one, as as we'll see later.
0: This story, Tornadre, was uh, like I said, and uh, published in 1888, and it is in the anthology Scientific Romances, which is a collection curated by Brian Stableford, which Mostly contains American English and French works from the mid-1800s, some of which are fairly obscure, and there's some really good, interesting authors in there. And we actually picked two stories from this anthology mm-hmm. to read for this installment. So we'll be covering the next one after this. But this one, Tornadra, I don't actually have a lot to say about this, because there's not much plot to this story.
1: It's No, not at all and the plot to me is almost like totally secondary
0: right so this will be very quick to go over a lightning storm over the turnoadra plateau which is it seems to be something made out by rosny i could not find any reference to it anywhere and i did look it's nowhere in belgium it's not in africa yeah. which is sort of something i was considering right, right right so i don't really know where this is supposed to be but it doesn't yeah. matter
1: yeah i was picturing belgian countryside for the setting here but i mean that that could be off, I, I don't know. But that was what was in my mind.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It, it could be. I mean, I just thought of the people with their biggest states, like the you know rich people in their big estates sure. and the slaves. And I just yeah. thought, oh, you know, maybe it's uh, Congo somewhere. Like, right. I don't know. But there's not a lot. I mean, there is a lot of detail gone into geography, but it doesn't really place it anywhere to me. No. However, there are certain animals mentioned which, which seem to indicate a more European setting, like wolves, for instance. Right. So, But those animals are fleeing from the plateau, from largest to smallest. And everyone is affected by this growing sense of unease. There's a kind of ongoing electrical storm with very strange properties. And we focus on a man named Sever and his wife, Luce. And they're living on their estate and they are very nervous. Something appears to be drawing her or them but her especially away she feels like she's being like uplifted somehow but not in a good way all the silverware has turned green and loose whispers a prophecy about the orange aigu, which sounds kind of like uh, the red death or yeah. something like you know it sounds very <laughs> ominous and supposedly it's a common belief among the peasant people there And talks about the moon and stars being devoured. There is a meteor shower and it's, again, this ongoing strange meteoric activity. And they begin to hear what sound like voices in the air. And their three horses finally manage to break out and flee into the night. Now they are feeling like there's less gravity, like gravity is also being affected. And they're all lighter, so the movements are all really crazy and... Even just doing simple things like getting a glass of water become almost impossible as they can't estimate what effect their movements will have and they all feel like they're being carried away by some unseen powerful force. The remaining horses clear the fence just as though they were weightless and the moon recedes but somehow there's still a light in the sky. It would be beautiful if it weren't so terrible. They try to get water, but the water tastes metallic and terrible, and it's all powdery. And Luce feels like she's being carried away. And Sever ends up picking up his wife, and suddenly, as he is picking her up, his whole weightlessness situation sort of starts to stabilize, and he realizes that he seems able to handle the changed gravity, where adding a heavy weight to oneself seems to be like the solution to the problem. And he tells the servant Victor this before jumping out of the window with his wife and making his way southward off the plateau. There's fire in the sky, but it is heatless fire. And everyone else fled long ago. So this very weird, distorted, deserted landscape. Or it seems deserted, but some preternatural senses would seem to indicate otherwise. In fact, maybe it's very inhabited. And he gets disoriented and ends up back at his starting point, but figures it out and makes his way down the slope, which looks at first like a sheer drop. Weight returns to normal, and Luce, who has been unconscious, revives. The tornado phenomenon continues on for a week, and then appears to clear. And there's a note which describes a scientific commission looking into the event. But they can't figure it out, except to note that the plateau itself is sort of built on or has grown from a huge bolide that fell to the earth in prehistoric times, and perhaps the meteors that were seen were part of the same stellar matter. Yeah, and that's the end of the story. Yeah, so really, not much story here, but no, really not at atmospheric all. and oh, interesting, yeah. like. Very eerie, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I saw this compared to Lovecraft once at least, and I can kind of see it.
1: Oh, absolutely. The uh, atmosphere and the prose here is just incredible. And Lovecraft always gets knocked for his clunky and awkward prose. This is not the case here, even though nothing happens really in this story. You know, this weird cloud and meteor storm comes, the two characters leave, that's it. I mean <laughs> mm-hmm. that's <laughs> I,
0: literally all there is to it. Yeah. So I must say that I can't help but wish there was a little bit more to it.
1: Yeah. But I at mean, the same time same. I did
0: like it also.
1: Oh yeah. I mean he is absolutely great at setting up this atmosphere and mood and there's he does so much with nothing. And that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited to read the other story flagged uh, the shape. It seems like there's a little more there plot-wise. But yeah, even exactly. again maybe if there isn't mm-hmm. I just love reading this kind of stuff. It, it's poetic, it's evocative, and it's really visceral. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I, I really like this one a lot.
0: And he does have some interesting sounding novels and stuff as well, like The, the Navigators of Space and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, this was like, I definitely felt the atmosphere and the power of just the strangeness of the yeah. situation. And the fact that none of it is ever explained, but it's like, implied something visited this place for a while and hung out there something cosmic almost yeah and it almost reminded me of stuff like roadside picnic slash stalker yeah right these aliens sort of have come and they spent time here but it was like a very brief time to us to our senses and all this stuff was left behind by them and we don't know what any of it is or what any of it does some of it's dangerous, and there's certainly, like, this sense of danger in the story, even oh, though yeah. nothing really malevolent
1: happens. like No. It no. almost
0: is just like what they're experiencing is a facet of nature, but not the nature that we know.
1: Right. I mean, it's this primal sense of urgency. All the animals are fleeing at the beginning, and that's the brief opening chapter is this chaotic scene of everything leaving. Yeah. And.
0: Except the humans, because right. they're stubborn and stupid.
1: Right. Right?
0: And yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they have capital investments to take care of, damn it? Yeah, and right. So, you know, <laughs> they're the last ones to leave. But yeah. Luce, who's, like, sort of described as this, like, peasant, peasant stock sort of person, like, she seems to feel it more acutely than Sever does.
1: Right. She recites uh, that bit of, uh, it's not exactly poetry. Well, I guess it is, but.
0: The, the prophecy,
1: yeah, the prophecy.
0: Right, yeah. I didn't write down what the prophecy actually says, but it's yeah, it's just the talk of how this is somehow anticipated, and right. when this happens, the sun and the moon will be devoured, and
1: when the silver goes green, Rouge Ague, I guess, will come and devour the moon and the stars.
0: Yeah, now it's I don't know why it's spelled Rouge and
1: not like Rouge would be R O right. U G E. Yeah. I think the translator even comments on the fact. Yeah, that, it's I that Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah.
0: So I mean, he does do some weird things here. Like he seems to make up some words and places. Like I was kind of thrown off a little bit by that because I'm like, "Where's this? Where's this supposed to take place?" Right. But at the end, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. No, no, it doesn't. The, the yeah. point is what the characters are experiencing, like the the weird feeling of strange alien infiltration into an everyday world. Yep. Yep. which is something we'd see a lot in the 20th century. Oh, absolutely. In yep. Weird fiction and science fiction, right on to at least the 60s and 70s, I would say, and even still now. I mean, there's maybe less of that nowadays just because I think we feel like we, <laughs> we, perhaps presumptuously, we feel like we have a greater understanding of the world and things around us.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, even in certain... Recent-ish science fiction movies. I mean, I guess Contact now isn't yeah that recent, but I mean, it it deals with aliens and pressing. I was thinking their... of
0: the the movie Annihilation. I don't know if you.
1: saw I know, that. no, I didn't see that one. No.
0: Oh, yeah, it's, it's it's you should watch that. That's uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, and it does have some of that for sure. It's kind of mixed a little bit with like a military. I would right, quite say right. a military sci-fi. Like it's yeah, just a little yeah. different than that. Like there's not really a lot of action or gunplay or anything, and. <laughs> it's just an interesting take on a on that whole concept of right something really really strange impinging on the earth and on on what should be everyday nature surroundings but suddenly it's been turned alien and strange and yeah that's true that it's no it's not that you're right The, the whole sense of wondrous strange is not gone from us and also that sense of danger in the things that we don't know and understand like exactly even if it doesn't, yeah even if it doesn't mean to hurt us it probably will yeah <laughs> because we don't understand it right so right. and we don't know what steps to take and like when he finds out severa finds out that he can by doubling his weight almost is able to deal with the low gravity much better and that seems to be the key to success mm-hmm. so i guess people who are <laughs> people who are together and stick together and help each other would do better, which is kind of a nice right. yeah. message as well. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this, this, this was good. I mean, it, it, it did feel a little bit insubstantial, but like at the same time, the, yeah, the poetic sort of strangeness of it was really powerful. Yeah. And, and I am into that too. So
1: yeah, I love reading this, even though I do wish there was more. Yeah.
0: I think we've been spoiled too by, by,
1: that is true. Yeah. Stuff
0: from now that's, that, that's sort of inspired by this kind of thing where it's like even Lovecraft by the end of his fiction was starting to go a lot more into the like sociology of his aliens and what they were really like and what they yeah. did. It wasn't so much, oh, the horror and the strangeness and the scariness. Right. It was like going into the society as strange as it is. I wanted to know more about whatever it was visiting, but the story is just a sketch too. Exactly, and it's. Yeah.
1: And certainly if he had wrote one of the stories we'll be covering later in the episode, it might be one of the best science fiction novels of all time. But we'll get to that when we cover that story.
0: Oh, trying to think what you have in mind now. (laughs) (laughs) Huh. Okay. This was good. I definitely would like to read more Rosny, but there's just not... Yeah. All I can say to you guys is read it. And I should have said this again in the beginning of the episode. I mean, I know I'm I'm harping on about this a lot, but like we do summarize the stuff here and although we want you to listen to our podcast, we want you to read the fiction too. And sometimes, yep. sometimes the essence of the fiction is really just a mood or a setting.
1: Yep. Absolutely. And this is all this is.
0: And to summarize, something like Tornada doesn't really do justice to what it really is. Yep.
1: yep. Because there's a lot
0: of, there's, there's just the atmosphere. And if you were the kind of person who appreciates the atmospheric side of things and, and people like Lovecraft and Clark Ashton Smith sort of a weirder science fiction of the early 20th century i think you will like this